don't believe, I always think that all this bullshit about to provoke you a little bit more, this is superstitious logic. It's pure ideology. You know this ecological bullshit like... Uh... Hello and welcome to the end of the world. This is Anipocene's episode 39. And today we are talking about Embrace of the Serpent or El Abrazo de la Serpiente from 2015. Directed by Ciro Guerra. A Colombian film, so it was all subtitled. It's mostly in indigenous languages and also Spanish and a little bit of German and one line of English that I think is is interesting. Um, and it's a film that both Will and I didn't really know a whole lot about. I'd watched a trailer for it, but then about halfway into it, or not even that long, maybe like 15 or 20 minutes into it, my only thought was this movie whips ass. Absolutely. I was... Like you said, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't really know what it was about, but this was like some like nerdy ass Indiana Jones mixed with like Amitav Ghosh Gun Island kind of theme. It freaking ruled. Yeah, it's it's basically from my understanding from what the film tells you and from my skimming the Wikipedia article, it's taking the travel journals of two real life people. A, a yeah. German artist and then a uh, an American botanist. I think the German guy was an artist and kind of fictionalizing it and and zhuzhing it up and and sort of combining it uh, through this sort of uh, indigenous character that connects the two stories and creates this thing that's just this really thoughtful meditation on modernization and urbanization and culture and the loss of culture and what culture is worth defending. And it, it, it's doing a lot of things. Yeah. And like colonialism and the uh, impact and first world relations with third world. Just, I mean, it's, it's sort of like this, this weird sort of archetypal or like, like a microcosm of just a very, uh, universal story. Yes. And, and it's sort of connected through these, these means that I think are interesting because they, they link kind of Western storytelling and also this more kind of indigenous storytelling. And, and what I'm talking about is it's all linked together by, by dreams and sort of talks of talking about dreams and the meaning of dreams and connected dreams and lack of dreams and all this sort of stuff. Uh, which I think is interesting because we think of the sort of like ayahuasca trip vision quest thing, this kind of trope that we have um, as being sort of indigenous forms of storytelling. But in reality, you know, we had Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung talking about very similar kinds of things. Uh, so I thought it was interesting to see the uh, film linking the characters uh, through you know, their dreams or their experiences with, with dreams or, or the lack thereof, which kind of is the, the thrust of a lot of the, the action in the movie. Yeah. Or experience like, like you're saying with drugs, it, it's, I, it was sort of a, an interesting, um, coincidence. I thought that the, the, the sort of natural drugs f featured into this movie so prominently because i've been i've been reading that michael pollan book how to change your mind which is like a history of psychedelics and it's fascinating i've always sort of been into ken kesey 
because um, he seems he's like this weirdly kind of level-headed, um, sort of responsible adult and very talented writer. But usually, it, like it, with my associate, my association to psychedelics is a sort of you know hippie kind of cliche. And Ken Kesey, when I started learning about him and reading him a little bit, sort of shattered that stereotype. Um, and so to hear Michael Pollan had a book about this, who's, you know, a, a very sort of sober, um, respected journalist, uh, who's mostly known for like food writing. Um, I was like totally on board and I'm a little over halfway through and there are some, uh, very interesting thoughts about the role of psychedelics and, you know, mushrooms and, um, the, the sort of drugs that the botanist, uh, is clearly taking at the, you know, towards the end of embrace of the serpent. Yeah. And so the, the drug in the film, it's called Yakruna, right? Uh, there's a few different. Yeah. The, the other one is called like cop, Capri or something like that. C A A, and that that's the one that they call the sun semen, the sun's yeah. semen, semen of the sun. Yeah, because uh, the uh, the sort of mythology around it is is all semen based. And she's explaining <laughs> it to the little kids at the mission. Um, but Yukruna is the one that's sort of the fabled, uh, supposedly like incredibly hard to find one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's sort of based. I would guess on ayahuasca, which is this, you know, very powerful hallucinogenic that's been used by these uh, native shamans for, you know, generations to induce these trances and have these sort of like meaningful visions within their belief system. And now we have like uh, Silicon Valley douchebags going to the Amazon to do it and claim, come back and claim that they now understand how to make a better app or whatever. <laughs> yeah yeah that uh pollen talks about the weird overlap of counterculture 1960s counterculture and silicon valley um so it's a there's, it's a, there's a lot to uh unpack there yeah there, yeah um but sort of staying within the the world of the film it's it's an interesting time period to pick because it's the turn of the, the 20th century. I think the first part of the story, because we're working on two timelines, the earlier one is from like 1908, I think. Something like that. Something I, like that. It's uh, 1909, I believe, is the the date at the uh, of the journal at the beginning, the text. Okay. And something the, like that, yeah. And then the later one, we're assuming, is in the 40s uh, during, I would think, world war two because of the whole connection with the rubber mm -hmm. he's that's um the american guy i can't remember his name in the film his whole thing is i think they call him evan is that right yeah i think that, that sounds right and and or he yeah he introduces himself as evan which is kind of funny that he's like speaking this indigenous language and he's like my name's evan and so <laughs> evan's not translated um but he's trying to find the yakuna because apparently it makes the rubber tree that it grows on it makes the rubber really pure or really durable or whatever so he's looking to bring it back for the american war effort which is a perfect i thought kind of writing move 
perfect encapsulation of the kinds of things that the uh, the uh, main character in the film, and I have to look at how to pronounce it, uh, Kara Makate, I believe. Koyaanisqatsi. Yeah, Koyaanisqatsi. They call him the the world mover, the world shaker, or something. Uh, Kara Makate, um, and he, the whole film, he's rallying against the whites, and he hates the whites, and they bring death to the world, and he's sort of come to trust Evan, and then it turns out that this whole time Evan's been trying to get his hands on Yakuna to strengthen the U.S.'s rubber supply for the war effort. Um, and he, he trusts Evan because one of my favorite lines is when he meets him, uh, Evan explains that he is devoted, he's a botanist and he devotes his whole life to studying plants. And, you know, to which he responds, you devote your entire life to plants. That's the sanest thing I've ever heard a white person say. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> such a great part of the, the movie is the sort of um, contrast we get between what uh and i keep having to look at it because i cannot remember it karmakati keeps saying i'm just uh, going to call him koyanaskatsi koyanaskatsi what he keeps saying about I, I'm, that's not offensive at all <laughs> it's like <laughs> i disregard your name and replace it with this other um, kierkegaard <laughs> kierkegaard yeah we'll, we'll call him uh big k and little k uh for <laughs> when he's older k. and young yeah special k so that's what he's the whole film he's just sort of literally laughing at the white men as they're you know, carrying their big trunks full of stuff. And he has all these, um, Oh, when he's, when he's writing the letter, when, uh, Theo is writing, he's dictating, dictating the yeah. letter, the letter. And he's, you know, saying all these sort of sentimental things. And special K is like just laughing his ass off in the back of the boat as if to suggest the laughability of what the, you know, Western world finds meaning in, yeah, and and there's the the scene where um, Theo, who's the the like German painter, yeah. who's the, in the earlier timeline, who is showing him the picture that he's taken of him, and he says, oh, "I have to take it with me. I have to, you know, show people this, or else they won't believe that I've experienced these things." And, you know, special. Yeah, case, he says, "You're insane." Yeah, and he, and his response is, "I know." I think yeah. a couple of times. And it's just this idea that when you look at it through special K's eyes, it, they do seem very, it seems just absurd, right? Of like, I have to have, it's sort of like the, the thing of taking a picture with your phone or taking a selfie. Like if you, if you go on vacation and don't take a million selfies, did you really go on vacation? Right. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, well, and it, it's also, what you see is that special K has like a real at the beginning or when he's younger has like an authentic spirituality Mm -hmm. and, and it's to me, it sort of seems like what he's perceiving in Theo is particularly, particularly in that conversation is that Theo is using like other people as his kind of God you know, he's like protecting these things, all this evidence, um, just to show to, you know, in quotes, other people. And he's just going to extreme lengths to preserve this stuff. And he's, you know, sort of ranting about how this is everything and this is the only uh, proof of my 
you know, of my people and my world. Uh, and that's when he's told that he's insane, you know, because he feels he like he has to, uh, share his experience. And it's like you're saying with the, uh, you know, it's like if you go on vacation, you feel like you have to share your experiences or they're not real or that you have failed other people because you did not share. Yeah. And it's, it's also has that um, kind of colonial tinge of, of gathering knowledge and consolidating knowledge, creating knowledge quantifying uh, it yeah. yeah so the, the idea of like a, a museum or even like archaeology is born out of this idea that the the west is where we will deposit all of the world's history and knowledge and we will be the keepers of it um because it's for your own good <laughs> that kind of because you don't have the facilities we have these nice marble buildings in london and in new york where we can put all your stuff for safekeeping um, right and it, it's it's sort of similar, but at the same time, Theo does have those sort of moments where you, it seems as if he's sort of sincere. Um, I think mm. the the best sort of <clears throat> showing of that contradiction is when they show up at the uh, the village and they're hanging out with the tribe, and one of them takes his compass. Yeah, and he loses his shit, <laughs> and he's like, "I can't leave this compass here," and he's like, you know about to try to attack the chief and all this sort of stuff. And uh, his, his servant Manduka, who's this very kind of loyal, but at the same time, very kind of deep and complex character um, pulls him away. And he's like, I can't leave the compass here. I can't, you know, let this sort of like navigational technology, uh, you know, out of Western hands or whatever. And that's when special K has his sort of rebuttal of like, you can't control knowledge. Like knowledge is everyone's property. You can't, say that it all belongs to you and other people can't have it. Um, and it's, it's an interesting sort of that big argument from, you know, post-colonial theory and all these other, you know, ways of lenses of looking through the world coming together in a very condensed little real life scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a, uh, a, a moment that's hard to forget from this movie because Theo is so gentle up until then. And he just like grabs this kid by the throat. Yeah. He's like singing uh, songs and having a good time. Yeah. And, then, and, then it all and goes. he's, he's sort of, uh, maybe sentimentalizing it a little bit to, to think that he has the power with this compass to corrupt an entire way of life, which maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But what special K sort of makes him realize with this comment is that, it's sort of vanity to vanity uh, of vanities to, to withhold, uh, to withhold information. It's kind of condescending in a way. Yeah. And like, I will preserve your way of life. Fuck you. <laughs> Leave it up to me. The white yeah. man. Um, it is kind of funny. Like the whole time, Special K is just like any chance he gets, he's just like, yeah, fuck white people. White people suck. Um, <laughs> all you do is bring death to the world and you corrupt everything and you don't respect the prohibitions and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and the idea of the prohibitions is, I think, another really important part, uh, both in the, the flow of the narrative and also in the sort of symbolic significance of it. Yeah, it's all about like limitations. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and brilliant. He, and you know, Special K's uh, sets up this sort of journey at the beginning, and again, it's good sort of like storytelling um, where he's explaining to Theo, "I'll help you, but you have to obey these rules. You can't have sex with a woman until after the new moon. You have to." You can't eat fish or any kind of animal until the rains come. Until the rains come. Um, yeah, Jensi made a salmon earlier this evening. I was like, "Did the I rains? Don't know if the rains have come yet?" <laughs> You're like looking outside. Like, it looks pretty dry out there. And she didn't watch the movie with me, so she was just like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" You're like the prohibitions. You know the prohibitions. Uh, but it, it's it's a sort of brilliant symbol of this idea of uh, kind of. Not conservationism, but there's probably a better way of describing it, of just like moderation. Yeah, of uh, acknowledging the logical law of limitations upon, you know, there's a a sort of um, implicit condemnation of the idea of dominion in this movie. Yeah. And the the scene where it all kind of falls, well, didn't fall apart, but Theo decides he's had enough and he jumps in the river to catch a fish and he's, you know, he's ill and he's feverish and he's finally caught his fish on the arrow and he's like, this river is full of fish. We couldn't eat them all in a million years or whatever. Like, there's no way we could ever exhaust them. And it's just like, oh, give it time. Yeah, that's like serious dramatic irony watching it in 2019. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in you know 2015 when it was made, it's like, oh yeah, that's. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. And and so it's that that's the intent of that scene is the dramatic irony. Yeah, so it's really, and I I just enjoy that whole line running through it where in order to be healed by my medicine that I'm going to give you. You have to sort of live the way I'm expressing. You have to sort of follow me along this journey. You have to like, you know, let me guide you, that sort of stuff, uh, which is interesting because in, it's inverted in the the more modern timeline, even though they're both, you know, quote unquote modern timelines, but the more recent one where he's now a special case saying he's lost his memory. And so Evan has to lead the way and you have to take me there. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, a lot to do with like memory as well, especially in that that later timeline. Yeah, memory and dreams, like you mentioned earlier, it's like a couple of different characters say they don't dream, mm-hmm. uh, which is very strange. Yeah. Th- uh, so Evan doesn't dream, and then Theo only ever has one dream. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 then there's the the overlap of Theo. He, um, Special K sees his like drawing notebook, right? And he Special K sees that he's drawn a dream that he, that he also had, mm-hmm. and so there's this weird sort of synchronicity and coincidence all you know connected through dreams um yeah and and i guess uh uh, eventually we're supposed to think that this is that these connections are at the hands of some sort of underlying cosmic unity 
you know, when uh, Evan has his ayahuasca trip at the end, he's sort of when the when the movie becomes color for the first time, which is a, a very cool yeah, move to make yeah. uh, to shoot a whole movie in black and white and just have this like acid trip be two minutes long and full of these like psychedelic colors. Um, I, I, I guess we're supposed to think that these coincidences and instances of synchronicity are the result of some sort of unfathomable, you know, cosmic design that perhaps Evan has a glimpse of through his ex- drug experience. Yeah. And that, that part at the very end, and that's how the movie ends is with the, his, his sort of vision or whatever it may be. Um, it's sort of interesting that special K tells him this whole time. I thought it was my, my destiny to teach my people, but now I realize it was my destiny to teach you. And he's, it's interesting because he's talking to Evan or at that point, he's not talking to Evan. He's kind of talking to whatever this like soul is that sort of was in Theo and now is in Evan. And, you know, maybe he's like, just because he's an old man and he's conflating the two events, but it seems as if he's saying like you, meaning whatever this presence is that was sort of embodied in Theo and in Evan have come back to find me again. And this time I'm going to actually complete, you know, my mission and give you the, your Kruna and send you into this sort of place beyond life. Yeah. I think what he's saying there really is that all white people look alike. <laughs> Uh, yeah and in uh, in a, a lot of ways yeah yeah um spe- all just theo, a bunch of rubber whores it's kind of funny because theo kind of looks like a like a member of fleet foxes or something he's got <laughs> his long hair and his beard um yeah but yeah i forgot what i was saying yeah yeah the, the whole idea of you know he's there to teach him right to sort of not necessarily like force him into like following anything, following the prohibitions or whatever it may be, but to sort of let me show you the world, you know, as, you know, as I believe it to exist or as it really exists, let me show you the deeper meaning behind this reality that you see, that sort of stuff. And this mm-hmm. is after Evan has like almost killed him, although, although not really like, He's threatened to kill. Uh, he, he was lying on his back and he pulled a knife on him. Yeah. And Special K puts it to his neck and he's like, go ahead, do it. But but you'll never <laughs> yeah. learn the secret of Yakuna. And then he, you know, even after that, he gives it to him. And um, it's just sort of like, it, it's sort of a weird lesson because you could read it as like, if you really want white people to learn important lessons, you just have to keep trying to teach them even after they try to murder you, you just have to like, they're too stupid. You have to keep going and really get drive the message home. Right. Right. And, and we should, you know, sort of say that white people in this movie are sort of conflated with, and and rightly so with scientific rationalism, like the Western rationalist view, you know, worldview is really, is really what's meant by white people. Well, except for the priest and the Jesus guy, and I know that sounds oh like the same person, God. but but no, uh, I know who you're talking about you're t- the the guy who's like the priest is like whipping, be, uh, abusing the children, mm-hmm. which may maybe my favorite part of the whole movie, just on a sort of primal level, was when uh, 
Oh, I thought you meant. <laughs> I thought you were like that was my favorite part is when he's whipping the piss out of these no, children. No, no, no. My favorite part is when he's well, it is when he's doing that. But then the the guy who's like uh, Theo's Manduka. travel guide, he comes out and just like punches yeah, the priest in the one face. shots him right in the fucking chin. Yes. And then they're like, "Run, children!" <laughs> yes, so, that part's fucking awesome. Yeah, and, and so uh, you're right, though. The, at least with the the sort of main white characters of Theo and Evan, they're definitely they fall into that tradition. And and uh, special K is trying to like help them see beyond it. And with Theo, it falls apart for you know all the reasons that we'll we'll talk about eventually. Uh, but then with Evan, he's able to sort of see it through to the end. And we don't get, you know, like any good piece of fiction, it doesn't like 10 years later, here's what Evan's up to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you're sort of left with this, this idea that whatever has occurred, he now has an altered view of the world and his place within it. Yeah. And that's what allowed him to create Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. He was uh, Bill Gates's uncle that... <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's talk about the, the mission a little bit because it's very, very, uh, sort of intriguing what happens to the mission in the two times that it shows up. Yeah. That's like really creepy. Oh yeah. The, the both times actually, uh, the, yeah. so the first time they show up and the kids are out front and they all have the same haircut as Manduka, which was kind of interesting, the kind of weird bowl cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all wearing their white robes and they're saying like, we're not allowed to speak the, the, the pagan tongues. We have to speak Spanish because apparently that's the holy tongue. Um, and you know, they go to the priest and they get a place there. And, uh, the whole time you see that special K has a relationship and has like been in a mission before. And he even quotes scripture to the, the priest and, uh, in order to sort of like show that he sort of gets what's going on here. And the yeah. priest the whole time is very like, it seems kind of, it, when you first see him, he's kind of playing with the children and he seems like he's like trying to be a good guardian of them. But then yeah, when, but they're, the, yeah, they're in the middle of the jungle singing, Oh, come all ye faithful. Yeah. And also his mission stated mission that he says several times is to <clears throat> keep them away from paganism. And he says cannibalism and, uh, yeah. the devil's way or whatever and how he does that is by forcibly uh, converting them all to catholicism and uh taking them from their families in order to be raised in this mission and then once uh special k sort of takes the group of indigenous children and shows them how to make the 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 semen of the sun and that sort of stuff and i guess i'm assuming this is what happened and the, uh, the priest finds out and so that's why he's whipping those specific children um, or at least one of them rats the others out because he's sort of watching and holding the the lantern, the one child. Yeah. And like you said, Manduka and the rest of them come down and Manduka decks the priest. And that's kind of the, the end <laughs> of their time at the mission. Yeah, there's a, uh, a, a very smart commentary, I think, on Christianity's you know, one of its dominant uh, metaphors of consuming the body uh, of Jesus, you know, through the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And I guess you get you get this more so through the second visit when you have this like 
messiah character yeah um and he is literally just like screaming for everyone to eat him uh to eat his body um but at one point special k says something like they they tell you you know they'll tell you to eat uh eat eat the body but then they don't obey the prohibitions um, and so what it does, and, and and then later, you know, you've got the Messiah figure screaming, eat me, and it's this sort of Bacchanalian, you know, festival or something. And what what's so brilliant, I think, is that it turns that Christian metaphor of like consuming the body uh, into a critique of consumption. Um you know, sort of saying Western Christian culture is more than ready to consume the body. But, uh, and maybe, maybe we're supposed to take that further as like the body of earth is being consumed and appropriated and destroyed, which is definitely implicit in this movie, if not explicit at some points. Um, yeah there's but there's no uh there's no uh i mean special k calls it prohibitions but there's no sense in the christianized world of limitations the movie seems to say yeah and it's it's a problem that it's a different kind of way i'm going to explain it but uh similar thing we get today with this idea of the practice of Christianity and the physical and sort of outwardly performative sense and the practice of Christianity from an ideological sense and loving thy neighbor and caring for the poor and that sort of stuff. And yeah. it's sort of like um, in the righteous gemstones, uh, you have uh, Jesse gemstone, Danny McBride's character praying to Jesus. And he says, or I guess praying to God, he says, you know, God, forgive me for doing those things that I did uh, because you know, that's not who I really am. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, kind of a perfect encapsulation. And I'm kind of stealing this idea from uh, Chapo Trap House did an episode about Righteous Gemstones. But this that's sort of the, the way that at least current contemporary American evangelical Christianity functions is God knows the real me. So the things I do don't matter because God knows that I didn't mean it and that I'm going to that I'm really a righteous person and how else would you explain my big bank account and my Maserati and all this sort of shit? Um, right. Because, because that sort of old school, like platonic dualism of like mind and body it, it, it is still very much a thing in most people's ideology where like the, the true self exists apart from practical material reality. Uh, and that is, not a uh, like for instance in um man what book is it there's a there's an old book by the guy no the guy's not the bible uh the guy's last name is peterson and it's like written in the er, uh, er, first half of the 20th century it's called israel its life and culture and it's about sort of Jewish culture when the uh, 
when some of the books of the Old Testament were written, and he's explaining the Jewish concept of the soul. And it's fascinating because it's so different than, um, you know, what, what a lot of people think is this sort of supernatural concept, this sort of spirit disembodied that exists in some sort of spiritual realm. Uh, very far from that, the, the old school Jewish conception of the soul, uh, is what this uh, writer Peterson, I can't remember his first it's name, Johannes. calls it. Johann? Yeah. Johannes. Yeah, yeah. Say it again. Johannes Peterson with a D. That's it. Yeah. Uh, he calls it the, he keeps calling it a totality. Uh, and it's almost, it's very similar to like the uh, Jungian self, like capital S self, where like today when, mo- when most people when they say self what they really mean is like ego like what you know about yourself but the old school jewish conception of the soul at least according to that book is this totality of like not just what you know about yourself but like what you do and how you treat people and how other people perceive you um and so it's it's a much larger idea than than certainly a disembodied supernatural kind of you know ghost of yourself. Um, you know. Yeah, and that's um, <clears throat> it, it comes through in a lot of the more sort of sorry I got choked. <coughs> oh God, it comes through in a lot of the. Uh, I just get so emotional when we're talking about Israel, its life, and people. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but the it comes through in at least to me, and I'm, I might sound like an idiot here, so you know, bear with me. But in more kind of orthopraxic religions, meaning like they ha- they have a lot of like strict practices to follow. So I'm thinking specifically of Judaism and Islam, mm-hmm. where you have you know dietary restrictions and certain ways right. of prayer and that sort of stuff, and even you know Christianity and it's more sort of orthodox senses, but. You know, in Islam, you have this concept of, uh, of Nia, which is like your, I think that's how you say it, which is like your um, intention when you do something. So mm-hmm. your action, what you're actually doing matters, but also there's this this other part of it, which is what did you intend to do through, you know, what you were doing, right? And it kind of, mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes sense with what you're talking about, this idea of the soul as being this this totality of not just who you are and, and whether or not you're a quote unquote good person very deep down, but it's also your interactions with others and, you know, your interactions with the earth and all these sorts of things, all the sorts of shit you should be thinking about anyway, as just a human being living on a planet mm-hmm. that, you know, you should try to live in some sort of harmony as much as you can. Um, but you know, that there's this other side that we've talked about through things like dominion and, and all these kinds of things where it's a very different view of for one, your place within the world and within the universe and also the importance of things like how you treat your environment or, you know, kindness to others and that sort of stuff. Things that are very much, you know, explicitly taught and, and preached and all that sort of stuff, but aren't followed in day-to-day practice. Yeah. Um, What's what's the word in the movie? I, I it's I think it's difficult to pronounce. 
what's the word though that they keep saying when they look at pictures of themselves where it's like a like the, an an empty version of a person oh it starts, i think it starts with like ch it's like chia chia ch- Chua, i don't know i'm gonna so, yeah i can't remember what it, it is but it, it seems like it, in some ways you might interpret that as kind of a kind of an empty version like, like western society sort of emptiness um in terms of a conception of a you know what a what a person is what a soul is the word uh, is uh chuachakwi yeah chuachakwi yeah, yeah. chuya chuachakwi uh, something like that so yeah and like you're saying it's somebody who's like devoid of memories a hollow mm-hmm. spirit that sort of stuff right and of course the the white guys come in devoid of memories and unable to dream and so they just by being themselves are this Cho- choyana scotsy yeah nailed it <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and just to sort of uh, piggyback on that with, with a couple of things that I found, um, if I'm ever able to find it. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. One I've mentioned like on an episode forever ago is like the idea that uh, or the uh, statistic thing that like living in a city is a a sort of put a greater risk factor for schizophrenia <laughs> and, and stuff <laughs> like that. And also the uh, disease, you remember they go to when they go to the mission for the second time and it's run by this crazy guy who claims to be Jesus. I think he, I think he's meant to be Brazilian cause he's speaking Portuguese the whole time. It's the first time you hear Portuguese in the movie. Uh, and, uh, he's saying he's, he's the Messiah and all this sort of stuff. And he has his, his wife, which is this, uh, sort of young native woman and she has this disease and they ask special K to heal her. And the guy, Evan says she has this disease. She has, the disease is uh, leishmania. I'm not going to be able to say it. I think it's leishmaniasis, which is an actual disease. It's called by, caused by these uh, bites from these sand flies. Mm-hmm. And I Wikipedia it because I wanted to see what it was, just because I'm interested in diseases like that. And it said something that I thought was worth mentioning, uh, which is. As soon as I find it, it says infections in humans are caused by more than 20 species of this of leishmania, which is a specific kind of fly. Risk factors include poverty, malnutrition, deforestation and urbanization. What? Yeah. That's really strange. So, so think about that in, in, in terms of this idea of kind of what the mission represents yeah, uh, in the specific yeah, sense, absolutely. Which is this like encroachment of you know this Western modern uh, culture of deforestation and these other things, um, and because of that, creating this risk factor which can lead to this disease, right? Um, which it, I kind of read a little bit more, and it's very easy to treat. But the drug that treats it, um, no one wanted to produce it because it wasn't profitable. So that's cool, but it's very cheap and very <laughs> like works pretty well. Yeah, that seems uh, very intentional. Yeah, and, and a well a well chosen disease there. Yeah, yeah, and and like a lot of things in this movie, it's just even the little details are so kind of packed with meaning. 
and you know it's a movie that takes place completely in the the rainforest like along the amazon river and you think like there aren't a lot of landmarks or anything to to or anything like that to look at um but they managed to tell the story in such a way with all these little details that are so incredibly sort of packed with meaning even if you even if they aren't necessarily directly you know in the line of the main narrative that it's just it's really rich and there's a lot going on there yeah and and they kind of fuck with time a little bit in the sort of clever uh editing where when they're switching back and forth between the stories it's usually based on some sort of geographical location Mm -hmm. so at one point you're you're watching uh i guess it's theo escape with his with his translator and helper and special k uh down the river and then the camera pans and coming up river it's you know 40 years later or whatever yeah and it's uh Evan and uh, so yeah, there's uh, they're really playing with with time, and and there is a sort of um, it's supernatural, but it's it's like I said, it's sort of this dignified, you know, not some sort of like Stephen King tawdry kind of supernaturalism. Um, yeah, and, and it's something we talked about with Gun Island a little bit, but it comes up a lot with also with like Latin American, South American writers where when they do things that play with time or reality or whatever it may be, uh, people are quick to sort of hit it with a stamp of magic realism. Yeah. Um, it's become sort of the trope for any non-white person who's doing something funky with the narrative. It's like, Oh, magic realism. And in right, reality, because if you, if you have a label for it, you don't have to think about it anymore. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it, it's a man. This makes me think of like specializations within uh, like English grad programs. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll tell somebody what you're interested in. They're like, Oh, what time period is that? Or, Oh, you know, what speci- <laughs> did what we talk lens? about this on the podcast? Yeah. Totally probably. irrelevantly. I think I, I bring it up a lot just because it like, it never ceases to amaze me of like meeting someone and like, what are you interested in? You start to tell them they're like, okay, but like what specific object? author what time period what specific theoretical lens because they want to just put you in this little box and be like that's where you are i don't have to think about it anymore right um it's it's i'm reading this um book right and this will be like my last little uh side note but i'm reading this book right now called in the light of what we know by this bangladeshi british author uh, named zia Haider rahman and a big part of that book is is this idea that in order to represent anything you have to represent very little little of something because it's so impossible to get the totality of something within Mm -hmm. one description so you just have to like see just enough of it in order to sort of get an impression of it yeah um not a new concept but i just when i read it in the book i was like oh that's awesome (laughs) um anyway back to embrace of the serpent Uh, there is a why why is it called embrace of the serpent so i mean there's 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 some shots of snakes yeah for sure <laughs> well there's i have to say like i was uh, eating guacamole at the beginning of the movie and in the opening credits it's that like snake giving birth mm-hmm. and i had to like stop eating the guacamole because it's like oh because uh, you had to shit <laughs> yeah because uh, <laughs> i was so just torked about Hor- those horny. snakes yeah um <laughs> 
but yeah, Holy you George. have the snake giving word. And the anaconda imagery comes up, and I think it's sort of meant to like be signified with the the river, um, like, like you know, snaking through the wilderness and all that. And also, when he when Special K poisons all the followers of the the false Jesus, the mm-hmm. Brazilian Jesus, um, he says, well, you know, they they were whatever specific tribe they're from. They're not. They weren't born of the anaconda. They don't. They barely count as people, which is like the one of the first times you see him being sort of prejudiced against other groups. Yeah, and I think Theo tells him like, "You sound like the rubber barons or something." Yeah, and uh, so I think with the snake, and you get that that sort of interesting artistic kind of uh, symbolic scene of the jaguar and the snake. Yeah, the jaguar like you know kills the snake and carries it off. And at the end, he's painting like jaguar spots on the back of Evans, on the back of Evans' back, on Evans' back, and yeah. telling him like you have to go and let whatever the I forget the name of the the thing he's talking about, let it embrace you. And I think that's what he's talking about is like the embrace of the serpent is to, you know, g- have this kind of vision quest experience. Yeah, and and to not not fight it, but to fully embrace it and sort of give yourself over to it, which is uh, part of what made me think of Gun Island so much. Where is it, Rafi or something like that? The kid who gets bitten mm-hmm. by the snake, and then he has this sort of transformation, which is essentially this like de-westernization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, some serious overlap there. Oh yeah. And so I think that's, I think as far as like the snake imagery goes, it's kind of what it is kind of in, uh, another uh, parallel that we had was when we first see old special K and he's standing in the river uh, drawing on the rock. There's a snake. There's a snake. Yeah. Slithering through the water. Yeah. And, th- and then it's sort of, he drops his thing, whatever it is that he's drawing with and stands there and you think it's because of the snake, but then you see the boat with uh, right. Evan in it sort of slowly coming around the bend. And there's, uh, of course, this maybe a, 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 with all the critique of Christianity in this movie, the obvious uh, reference to the snake in the Garden of Eden. and The snake is, you know, the bad guy, is Satan in the Western mythology. And, uh, that sounds like such you, a good, that's a good title for something, the snake is the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this, we're supposed to embrace the bad guy, uh, embrace the serpent. Yeah, because it's not. And, you know, the serpent, what does the apple and the serpent represent in the, the Eden story? It's knowledge, right? Yeah. So yeah. here he's saying, well, the knowledge is a good thing. The knowledge belongs to everybody. The knowledge is something to be shared. Yeah, and it's a different a different type of knowledge. Uh, again, like, like Special K is always talking about you know, part of the reason he hates white people is because he sees them not um, acknowledging or living by these prohibitions, aka, uh, you know, philosophy of limitations. Um, and so they will exhaust these, uh, you know, he understands logically that they will exhaust the forest and the rivers. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, and another scene that we, we haven't touched on yet 
because you, you mentioned the rubber barons and they mentioned the rubber barons a lot uh, because they, you know, they're in this part of the, the Amazon where they farm rubber and harvest it and that sort of stuff. And there's a scene uh, kind of early on when Special K and uh, uh, damn, what's his name? The German guy. Theo. Theo. Yeah. I don't know. I forgot all of a sudden. Theo and Manduka, his servant, um, come to shore and they come into like a, a place where rubber is being harvested from these trees. And Manduka, who's had this experience as like a, a, a slave on a rubber, rubber plantation, goes and kicks over all the buckets and pours them out. And then the guy, uh, the dude working there, working there, the slave who's being forced to labor there, comes running out of the forest and he's missing an arm and one of his legs is uh, kind of in a sort of like a brace or something. Uh, and he's, you know, limping badly and he's like, you know, freaking out about the, the spilt rubber and he begs Manduka to, to kill him uh, so that he doesn't have to sort of face his his masters. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredibly like just bleak and dark scene and, and it sort of drives home the the sort of barbarity of these, you know, exploitative industries coming into this this you know wilderness and and using the people as you know this chattel as machinery basically yeah and then when he gets the gun mm-hmm. uh i i can't remember if it's theo or special k who's like totally surprised he's like you brought a gun um, yeah. and and then that scene ends with the shotgun being thrown into the river mm-hmm. um and, and you definitely see the shotgun as synonymous with kind of western culture of death yeah and you also hear the guys the rubber guys like screams in the in some off we're off in the distance and then gunshots sort of assuming mm-hmm. that he's been killed for manduka kicking over these buckets you learn that manduka has been you know was a slave and that uh theo bought his his debt or whatever from the yeah. the guy. And now that's why he is helping Theo. Um, and you get that really powerful scene where you have Manduka just sort of sitting on the rocks, sort of looking at the river and he's not wearing a shirt and you see the, the lash marks on his back. Mm-hmm. It's a very sort of, you know, strong image that they're showing, um, you know, kind of makes you think of like all the horrible things that happened in colonialism, like the, the Belgians in the Congo cutting off people's hands and collecting them and that kind of shit. Um, yeah. Like we started to say at the beginning, there's just sort of a little bit of everything in this movie. This is just a, um, I don't know how, like what sparked this movie. Um, I mean, I know it's these historical accounts, but it, it's well-timed, it's extremely well executed, and uh, I'd never even heard of this fucking movie. Yeah, it's it's a little over two hours, but there is no drag in this movie. Like every no. moment is just like beautifully shot. All of the shots of the river, there are all these beautiful wide shots. There's a, a there's a shot where they're, I think it's like older Special K and Evan going down the river, and they're filming it. Like it, it looks as if you're on another boat on the other side of the river and you're sort of going along with them and then mm. the river splits and they sort of go behind the trees and you go off in this other direction. Uh, ah. A lot of really, you know, kind of masterful shots like that. Yeah. And looking at a uh, Cyril Guerra, the, the director, um, 
he he's directed you know quite a few things uh but his next movie uh or uh, yeah it's coming out or i don't know when it's coming out i wasn't able to find a release date i don't think but he did a film adaptation of uh jm coetzea's um or coetzea however you pronounce it uh waiting for the barbarians starring johnny depp so i'm not really sure oh wow weird yeah but he he does uh, you know waiting for the barbarians is a very sort of it's used a lot in like post-colonial theory for a lot of the themes that it has um Mm. but it seems like his, his big things are like this legacy of colonialism and indigenous cultures and the loss of indigenous cultures which is kind of what in the end embrace of the serpent sort of ends up being an homage to is these cultures that we may never get to know and get to experience because special K is sort of not the last of his tribe, but he thinks he's the last of his tribe. Um, and they've been sort of wiped out by the, by the Colombians and, and the rubber barons and all these people. And then at the end of the film, we get these photos and this explanation and the, and these uh, cards about how, you know, this is based on the work of these, two guys um that theo and evan are based on that went to the amazon and their accounts are the only accounts written accounts we have of these cultures and because of that cyril guerra thought it was worth sort of telling a story to sort of make us think about that not like a direct adaptation but something that's that's what i that's what i love about this movie too because you can't really tell that it's an an adaptation of you know historical material Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I have a sort of prejudice against just like strictly, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but, uh, like f- super faithful adaptations. Of yeah. Super like, like, like fiction, uh, inter- I mean, movies that are supposed to be entertaining, but that, uh, feel like they have to be sort of like a documentary. Um, it, it feels it just feels very dishonest to me. It's like 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 for instance, I would much rather watch a documentary about, say, Malcolm X than watch Spike Lee's film Malcolm X with Denzel Washington. Um interesting. You know what I'm saying? Um Yeah. I don't agree, and, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I uh I don't know what it is that bothers me about that, but Whatever it is, this movie doesn't do that, where it feels like this movie is inspired by those historical texts, but then it allows itself to become this uh, this film, uh, which is about itself and your experience of it. Whereas I, I, something like Malcolm X or, or you know movies like that it is really just sort of like a a, a very well-made dramatization or reenactment, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, anyway, I'm, this, it's interesting this movie doesn't that. do that. I, I like that you brought that up because, um, what's the, uh, is it called beautiful day in the neighborhood? The Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie. Uh, I is think that what so. It's called? Yeah. Um, I, I know won't you be my neighbor was the documentary, but in, in that film, a lot of the reviews were kind of, they would be good, but they were sort of surprised because it wasn't a biopic. It's really just about this very small part of Fred Rogers's life. And it's not even necessarily about Fred Rogers specifically. It's sort of about 
you know, his where he had gotten to with his fame as Mr. Rogers kind of toward the end of his life and his relationship with this one reporter that wrote a piece about him. Um, and a lot of the reviews were like, it's kind of weird that they, you know, only took that one section, but I think that's exactly how you should approach something like that. Because if you try to make like the Fred Rogers biopic, it's going to, like you said, it's going to end up being kind of like paint by numbers. We have to show this. We have to show this. It sounds very similar to, uh, the very good decision, uh, that was made, uh, in making, uh, the end of the tour about David Foster yeah, Wallace, that's you a know, good example. taking this very small slice of a person's life as opposed to, you know, some sort of absurd, sentimental glorification hero narrative. And it's kind of uh, seems more honest to me because instead of being like seeing someone as like their wife of 50 years saw them, you're seeing them as like more or less a stranger would see them like someone who's never met them and is just sort of getting to know them. So when you get their sort of eccentricities or their sort of downfall negatives, it's sort of more shocking and kind of more effective, sort of like in the end of the tour, when you start getting David Foster Wallace's like jealousy and his like addiction to TV and his just sort of inherent kind of weirdness about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're like, whoa, that, that got weird all of a sudden. I thought you were just this brilliant guy that was always just like having a good time and drinking Diet Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot less pressure in that slice of life style uh, than there is in like, you know, the sort of Forrest Gump. Or like kind a beautiful of, mind. Right, 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 right. That's Which I love example. a beautiful mind, but. I know it's not like yeah. the greatest film ever made, but I do like it. I do like it too. Yeah. Um, so, so in like the end of the tour, a lot of people didn't like that movie, but I thought it was really, really good. I um, was totally primed to hate that movie because I'm I, uh, such a David Foster Wallace fan, and I was just, I was just totally ready to hate it. And I was like, God damn, if they didn't pull that off. Yeah, it's it's well done. Jesse Eisenberg in a lot of like sleeper good movies that people don't talk about or don't watch yeah night moves night moves uh so yeah i'm trying to think of there if there's any part of embrace of the serpent that we haven't touched on yet because a lot happens in it um but i feel like we've covered most of it and and like you're saying what what uh guero manages to do is tell this story uh or actually tell sort of multiple stories that intersect into this one narrative uh in a way that's very kind of fresh it never feels i don't know it just never feels you know sort of stilted in any way it's sort of there's uh, there are a lot of things that are really packed with meaning and symbolism but they are never they never beat you over the head it all fits together and it all sort of makes sense as far as like it feels natural it feels like natural storytelling yeah yeah, even though it's supposed to be this sort of like almost miraculous thing where this these two, you know, white dudes come and find this native guy and there there's this sort of, you know, trans spiritual connection or whatever. Uh, it, it, you're, you're never like, oh, this is bullshit. You're always like, oh, no, this I totally understand the threads that are connecting all of this. Yeah. Yeah. I like movies I can understand, man. I don't know. What can I say? Uh, it's just those subtitles, man. I was like, what the fuck? I'm going to have to read? It's kind of interesting because at the uh, the Portuguese Jesus, 
or Brazilian or whatever he is, um, he's speaking what is, I think is meant to be like Latin, but in the subtitles, yeah. it was just the subtitle of what he was saying, like typed out. And it makes me think like, was he just making up words? And that's why it was like that. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, it seemed like it was Latin to me. It did. But then like, it would be just in the bottom. It wasn't translated. It didn't say yeah. like in Latin. It just sort of wrote it out. And I was like, maybe he's like trying to do Latin, but just like fucking it up or making it up as he's going. Or worse. Uh, we as the audience are supposed to only know that it's Latin. Yeah. Could be. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, in that whole scene, we haven't really talked about that a whole lot, but the we, we sort of mentioned him at the end when he sort of comes to the height of his mania and he's like, eat my body and all. And since Special case drugged everyone, they sort of collapse on him and start like literally consuming him alive. What uh, what movie did that make you think of? Uh, Shaun of the Dead? No, I don't, I don't know. It made me think of uh, Mother, Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Oh, okay, yeah. The, yeah. where they're like eating the baby yeah that makes sense especially because they're both you know very not very heavily veiled uh religious alleg- <laughs> allegories similar yeah yeah um it's just i love all the times that special k encounters a group of people who has been just like utterly corrupted and is now just like gone to shit so there's yeah. that when he uh, both times with the mission, really, because in the in the first time the priest mentions that he's been abandoned there, basically, <laughs> and they just have never come back for him. And right. then when they come back later on, you know, it's become this weird kind of Christian based cult. Um, well, in the first the first time that they come up on the priest, the the first thing they that he does is pull a shotgun on him. Yeah, that's right. and then they're like, "Aren't you a priest? Aren't you supposed to welcome <laughs> us?" And he's like, "Oh fuck my bed," and then invites them in. Yeah, it's also mention it. The 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 second one, I don't know if you caught this, but it has this uh, kind of heart of darkness, apocalypse now feel to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. which I think is is also very uh, intentional, since that's you know sort of this sort of ur text for where post-colonial theory sort of starts studying things. Yeah. Um, so in that way, I thought it was, it was, uh, sort of I'm trying to think of a word that's not interesting, enlightening to think of it that way. Um, and then the, the, the second time special K gets really disappointed is when he's going back to his people, back to his, his tribe, to his village. And he even like kills the bird with his blowgun and makes the really fancy ass like crown of feathers and like a feather boa. And he's got this like long ass dong cloth that goes down to his feet. Yeah. Um, the old DC. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and, you know, he's strutting into the village and he's very like excited to be back with his people. And they're all just these fall down drunks um, who have, you know, perverted the special the sacred yakruna and they're they're cultivating it and he says you know yakruna cannot be cultivated it's against the the prohibitions and all the kids are pretending they have guns and yeah. there are a couple people that have guns and those are like one of my favorite parts of the film is when they pull the guns on them and they're like are you a colombian and he just sort of looks at him and just keeps going <laughs> <laughs> yeah like the kids jump out with fake guns and then the adults jump out with real guns. Yeah. Made me think of landlocked blues. Oh yeah, the, the uh, line about the, the trees. And they shot me dead. Yeah. Um, 
and then he he goes and he finds i guess the elders or whoever the authority figures and they're in the tent and they're all just like smashed um Mm. the one throws up all over the place and then he goes and he sets the sacred yakruna tree on fire and that's when the the colombians show up apparently is what everyone's saying and so they they have to flee and i guess that's how theo dies is he never gets the yakruna um, which kind of like makes me think of his sickness as a physical sickness, but also very much like a spiritual sickness, right? Which right. Is the implication yeah, yeah. There. Western spiritual sickness. Yeah. And then you know they come back at the end of the film, and they see the the one Yakruna flower growing on the tree that he had burned down years before. But it, just that the sort of idea of of what. Special K thinks he's going to encounter and then what he actually encounters where I guess in the case of the mission he is kind of what he expects because he thinks so little of sort of Western white Christian culture but then he goes to his village and it's really not much different it's sort of like a parody of itself and yeah. and that's sort of when he becomes so disillusioned that he becomes kind of even more of a hermit and even more of a recluse yeah you say you said disillusion I was just thinking one of the main themes of this movie is disenchantment and, 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 or re enchantment. Yeah. Um, another kind of parallel what, with gun Island. Yeah. What, uh, what to make of a diminished thing as Robert Frost might say. He's talking about his wiener. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what he's talking about. But yeah, that this, just the idea of kind of, in layman's terms the magic going out of the world right disenchantment of like there's we don't have these things to believe in like we once did um can lead you to a lot of a lot a lot of different places both positive and negative i think that's a big thing going on right now with people that want to go back to a good old-fashioned western western european culture and big yeah, race and racism and things like that yeah yeah, yeah and you know that you were joking, but yeah, that's kind of what they're <laughs> suggesting is like, that's, that's when things were good. So we'll go back to them and that, yeah. and that's sort of their view, their way of re-enchanting the world. Whereas with, um, special K and the Akruna, it's like not, I don't know. I, it, I sort of hesitate to use, say actual enchantment because you don't want to, you don't want to degrade a sort of way of being in the world down to magic. Yeah. Uh, but pretty close <laughs> to magic yeah it, it's uh, maybe a better way to say that it's just a spiritual understanding of reality yeah but it, it also like don't love the word spiritual because a lot of douchebags use it like i'm not religious but i'm spiritual which means they like do yoga right i think it's uh uh daniel tosh somebody said says to him I'm not uh, religious, but I'm spiritual. And he says, oh, well, I'm not honest, but you're interesting. Yeah. Uh, that, that's pretty much how I feel about that. And it's weird because that was a very kind of like early 2000s thing, but people will still drop that on occasion. Yeah. What that means uh, practically, I think, is that they have a sort of deep-seated aversion to Christianity, but they still need the comfort of an supernatural deity they, they want a god that's not too they, they want a god that's like kind of cool with shit you know yeah not, not too harsh i don't want him to like kill my vibe but i want him to like be there 
for me. And they also don't want any prohibitions. Oh, God, no. Right. <laughs> God forbid. Um, the, as far as they know, like, Buddha doesn't care if I get hammered right now. I want the, I want the treat yourself God. And that's something that, like, I don't, I've brought it up before. I, I, I like, there's a hundred percent chance I've brought it up before, but how, especially in like American culture, I'm thinking specifically, there's so much bastardization of specifically Buddhist and Hindu culture that it's kind of amazing that no one really talks about it very often. <laughs> like everyone with like in their like Toyota forerunner with a namaste sticker on the back or like a, <laughs> a big Buddha statue in their garden or whatever. Yeah. Because they just think it looks cool. It's like, look at Buddha. Isn't he happy? It's like, that's like, he's a literal deity to a lot of people. Um, yeah. And you're like, Hey, look, I'm pouring, I'm giving him a sip of my beer. <laughs> <laughs> eat the hot dog buddha here it comes rub his belly yeah. buddha loves bud light lime but if you show a bunch of people in like southeast asia with a jesus statue and they're like dressing it up <laughs> in like a yeah, it's like buddy jesus from uh, <laughs> from, uh from dogma. Dogma, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're out surfing with jesus and he's like wearing a bikini and stuff uh people will be like that's that's offensive um, so. Oh man, what a bunch of absurd little animals we all are! Right. The the the, the worst ape I like to call us. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So is there is there anything else in the movie that we haven't brought up yet? That you thought was worth? Uh, let's talk about the first half of the movie. Okay. No, there's nothing else. Okay. I was going to say, I thought we did, but maybe, <laughs> I was like, am I forgetting the did first half Did we only talk about the second half? I was like, fuck, what happened in the first half? <laughs> I was going to like look at the Wikipedia page. Um, but no, yeah, it's a really, it's a really great film. And, you know, you could sit here and like pick apart all the different little aspects of it all day. But overall, it's doing a lot of great things. It's, it's interesting from just a visual standpoint it's interesting from a a narratological standpoint definitely and if you're you got a big old heart on for post-colonial theory like i do then it, it's all of that is there as well and it's carried like i was saying earlier it's carried through in such a way that it's not overbearing it all fits very comfortably within the film plus a hard r for that native nudity uh if you're interested iyi <laughs> yeah so if that's what you if you're into that like if you're that kid that was like flipping through national geographic try, try to get a little taste then you'll like this film putting the graphic in national geographic yeah you won't uh, find that on disney plus <laughs> uh no they somehow they got jeff goldblum in the mix there yeah and he's not even hanging dong oh uh. That's the world I want to live in. Uh, so, Jeff Goldblum hangs dong on National Geographic and other fantasies. <laughs> a, yeah, your, your autobiography. Um, so, yeah. Autoerotic biography. So yeah, uh, Embrace of the Serpent. I'm just trying to think of like, should I try to stretch this out? Because we're it's kind of a short episode at the moment, but that's okay. Yeah, it, it's it's 
I think we've talked about this before too. It's that thing where it's like, if a movie is either really kind of, if we agree on a movie being really sort of strong and really pleasant to watch and a good movie, we tend to not be able to talk about it very much. And then if it's a really terrible piece of shit, we have trouble talking about it. It's the ones that are kind of in the middle where we sort of, you know, dance around. Yeah. Them a lot. It's ones where we kind of got to wrestle with it. Yeah. Uh, but this one is just like super smart. And like biodome was just like, this is a waste of everyone's time to be talking about this. Yeah. And I think to describe it as smart, I think it, it may be some people would find that offensive, but fuck them. I think it's a good way of explaining this movie because on the surface, and if you watch the trailer, you think it almost looks like a horror movie. Like when I watched the trailer, I was like, I think there are some like horror movie, scary, spooky elements going on in this. And really the scary, spooky elements are the white man <laughs> coming and destroying a way of life. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but really, like the, it's just a really kind of smart, well-made, well-written, well-performed movie that I would recommend to anyone just because it was it's a Colombian production and it's in Spanish. A lot of people you know, don't bother to watch it, but I would highly recommend it. Yeah. And, and good news is it's like on prime, you know, yeah. it's like got a good venue to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's definitely, uh, worth a watch. Um, yeah. So go watch it, go, go do it now. So, uh, next week we're going to be doing, we're going to be returning to someone who we've spent some time with in the past, an old flame. Um, so a few episodes back now, I don't remember when exactly we talked about in the eco-terrorism episode, uh, night moves directed by Kelly Reichardt. And so what we're going to be doing for next week is the Kelly Reichardt Christmas special. And <laughs> what we're going to be doing is, is going back and, and, adding to our you know our uh, our oeuvre uh, a lot of works by kelly Riker. so we already watched Night uh, we're gonna we're gonna do all of her christmas movies in one week yeah jingle all the way jingle all the way again jingle all i'll the, be home for christmas uh, jingle all the Chuckle ways ninth the uh, talented mr ripley <laughs> so gladiator meet joe black water world <laughs> start naming 90s movies demolition man uh, so <laughs> we're gonna add two night moves uh we might bring night moves back in sort of make reference to it but we're not gonna talk about it all. go listen to that old episode if you're interested in what we think about it um instead we're gonna be watching her other major productions except for her very first film because it's kind of enough already and i feel like she didn't really develop her voice until later on anyway and it, and her first film was uh, the holiday with kate winslet jack black and jude law her first film was overboard with goldie hahn <laughs> and, uh no her first film was called river of grass comes it her came out in 1994 film was a uh, c-spot run with david arquette god <laughs> wasn't he was he a mailman in that was that the whole thing you're goddamn right he was <laughs> so uh th- this whole thing is kind of uh, inspired by the fact that the Criterion Collection a few days ago released the criterion of her first, or not her first, I guess her second film that kind of made her name called Old Joy. I have to say it slowly or else I'm going to slur it together. Uh, Old Joy, 
from 2006, and then we're going to be watching Wendy and Lucy from 2008, Meek's Cutoff from 2010, and Certain Women from 2016. Uh, you'll you'll see that she's kind of like has a little bit of Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson e kind of repetition of actors, especially Will Oldham, who you might know him as the musician Bonnie Prince Billy, fellow Kentuckian, very proud, um, and also Michelle Williams pops up a couple of times. Specifically yeah. in Wendy and Lucy, and then I believe she's also in Meek's Cutoff, and maybe certain right. women too. Maybe she's in three of them. I don't remember. Yeah, and then Kelly Record has another film that's being released. I think early next year. So maybe when that comes out, we'll talk about it. But next week, Kelly Record uh, Christmas special, not to be confused with the Kelly Rowland Christmas special, very different, mm-hmm. um, or the Kelly Clarkson Christmas special, or the Gene Kelly. Christmas special or the uh, R Kelly, Christmas the R Kelly special. Christmas special. Um, Kelly R very different than R Kelly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, talking about those movies and I think we'll have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about a lot of good themes. She collaborates a lot with the dude, the writer guy. Can't remember his name. Can you remember? Uh, I believe his name is uh, uh, Ernest Hemingway. Yes. Uh, the, the ghost of Actually, Ernest Hemingway. Actually, it's Schneeble. It's, uh, his name is Jonathan Raymond. That that's oh, yeah, that yeah, would yeah, be yeah, a cool, yeah. like, that's a cool sitcom is like a movie director who uh, moves, moves into a haunted house and it's haunted by the ghost of Ernest Hemingway. It's a house <laughs> where he like shot himself. And so Ernest Hemingway is like writing all of these films and the person's directing them and like making all this money. And it would be, it would have to have a name. That's like a pun on a Hemingway title. Okay. Um, We got nothing but time. No, I got nothing. Okay. So, okay. Uh, I'm so so fucking happy about this <laughs> so the person who moves into the house is owen wilson and he is his character from you me and dupree and the name of the show is the old man and dupree <laughs> i uh i want to go on record here and say I think you, me, and Dupree is an underrated piece of art, really. To me, it's right up there with Saving Silverman in terms of greatest movies <laughs> of all time. We, you know, we should just rebrand as a like '90s, early 2000s comedy movie podcast, dude. I I had an idea where I feel like we should each get like a wild card week, where like. At any moment, we can just like uh, one of us gets a, a a wild card where we get to just pick a movie that has absolutely nothing to do with the aims of the podcast and talk about it for the entire you know entirety of one show. We'll have to, maybe that's how we'll start off the new year. <laughs> yeah, that's we'll a great just idea. Fire it up. Yeah. Uh, I, my pick, I'm spoiler alert already, is Saving Silverman. It's a fucking masterpiece. That that'd be cool. I would like. I would watch it again. <laughs> it's so good. 
yeah, I think I think we're done. I don't think we we have anything. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think we're out of productive conversation. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Embrace of the Serpent. Um. One of the better films we've watched so far. Like it's probably in my top ten. Yeah, it was a hell of a flick. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I saw it randomly on Amazon and then suggested it. Yeah, me too. And that you were uh, too lazy to fight me on it, and so we just <laughs> yeah. I just, it. I mean, honestly, I just don't give a shit at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, next week, like I said, we're gonna be doing the Kelly Reichert movies, Kelly Reichert Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'll see you then.